Let's turn now to God's Word. We have been studying the gospel according to John. And for the past couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus do things in order to help open people's eyes to the reality of the kingdom of God, to show people that He is more than a teacher, more than a miracle worker. He is someone who is connected to God and bringing God's kingdom to earth. He, two weeks ago, turned water into wine to show people that He was focused on joy. Last week, he flipped the tables in the temple over and made a whip out of cords, driving out the animals and the livestock salesmen and the money changers to show that he is focused on truth. And today we see something a little bit different. Jesus moves from doing to teaching. This is the first big teaching section in John's gospel. And while it starts a little bit confusing, maybe a little bit rambly, I want you to pay close attention because I think you're going to hear something in this that sounds familiar. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already." because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as I pray for us. Oh God, we come to you this morning to a passage that most of us have at least heard. Many of us have repeated. It's also a passage that is somewhat confusing in the way that Jesus speaks to this man. And so I pray that you would help us listen for your voice. Send your spirit to our hearts that we might hear you speaking to us using the words of Jesus and His actions to renew and change us through the power of Your Spirit, I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only Your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of Your Son, Jesus. 
Amen. Several years ago, Nicole found a listing on a Grace Facebook page from someone who was giving away bunk beds. This was when we were still connected to the church up in Palo Alto, and someone up in Palo Alto had four sets of bunk beds they were giving away. So she sent me up there to go pick up one set for our girls. Now, I got to the house, and there was a young man working under the hood of his car. I introduced myself, and he said, oh yeah, that's my dad. He's giving away the bunk beds. Let me go get him. He came back out of the garage. His dad was following behind him, but this young man already had two of the bed frames in hand, so I opened the trunk to our SUV. And as we talked, we walked back and forth between the garage, loading up all of the different parts of the bed into the SUV. And then finally, before I knew it, he handed me a a gallon freezer bag full of nuts and bolts and little metal pieces and things, and he said, I really hope your girls enjoy the bed, and thank you so much for coming to take it off of our hands. And I looked at this bag full of stuff, and I looked at the back of the car full of stuff, and I said, could you give me some directions as to how I'm supposed to build this? Do you have the instructions or maybe just point out what to do? And so he said, that's probably a good idea. So he walked through all the pieces, touching them, said, this is the bottom bed frame, this is the top, this is how it goes, the rail goes here, and then the drawers slide under here, the trundle comes in over here. And I got in the car and drove back home pretty confident that I had had all the instructions I was going to get, but I could figure this out. A couple days later, as I started to build it, our girls were so excited, and they had to wait for several hours as I struggled to put those beds together. In fact, I had to unbuild and rebuild them at least two times, because even though I had some instruction, it didn't help. You could have the best instructions. I could have had the manual that came with the bed, but directions only go so far. Instructions only help so much, don't they? Most of the time, you have to kind of get in and build it to understand, to see where things might go wrong. You have to actually experience it. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the same way that most of us do. We hear about him. We know there's something special there. We're not quite sure what it is, but we do want to know more. We come and we begin to ask questions. But we need to understand something else about Nicodemus. He was, as John tells us, a Pharisee, one of the religious elite in Israel, and he's part of a ruling body called the Sanhedrin, which is why Jesus refers to him as a teacher of Israel. This man was well-educated. He was highly intelligent. To him, this encounter is all about knowledge. It's all about comprehension. He wants to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, what He is offering, and how He, and maybe the rest of Israel, can engage and participate with this new teacher, this rabbi. Nicodemus' line of questioning is all about what to do next. What do I have to do to get to the final product, this experience of the kingdom of God, eternal life, life abundant? What do I do next, Jesus? Jesus' response in the dialogue with Nicodemus and then in the monologue that follows goes in a different direction. Jesus says, you can't get life abundant through knowledge, only through transformation. It's not about learning something new, it's about becoming someone new. And as Jesus talks about this new life, or, or maybe a better way to put it is this renewed life, It's somewhat confusing. At least, it was confusing to Nicodemus. Jesus says, life abundant is open to anyone. 
It comes through the sacrifice of the Son of God, and it looks like living freely. Three points for us this morning, beginning with the fact that life abundant is open to anyone. I bet this is the verse that caught your attention, 3.16. Most of us have heard it. Many of us, as I said, have recited it possibly in our years in church. But I also think that this was probably the verse that caught Nicodemus off guard the most. We see how he he responds to the idea of being born again, but we're not privy to his response to verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I can only imagine Nicodemus thinking, "Um, no, that's not quite right. Not whoever, not the world, but Israel. Nicodemus and everything that he had learned and engaged with and been taught growing up would have known, for God so loved Israel, whichever Israelite did what God said would be saved. Everything that he had learned pointed to the fact that God chose Israel. God favored Israel. God would save Israel and no one else. But here, Jesus, this rabbi, This miracle worker who is clearly connected to God in some way is expanding the circle of God's favor. He's opening salvation to the whole world, to Jews and Gentiles? Exactly. Jesus, in this conversation with a teacher of Israel, is revealing that life abundant has come not just to Israel, but to anyone who will receive it. This would have been hard for Nicodemus to believe. You know how I know this? Because whether you're willing to admit it or not, it's hard for all of us to believe that anyone can come to Christ. It made me think of this song, if you like pina coladas, you know that song? I'm going to get there, trust me, this makes sense. Catchy song, terrible song, terrible It's a song about a guy who is tired of his marriage. He's done with the boring routine of the life he and his wife have, and so he looks in the personal ads in the newspaper and finds one that's exciting. Do you like pina coladas? Do you like getting caught in the rain? I'm the love that you've looked for. He knows that's what I want. So he writes back. They engage in this Riding back and forth, they agree to meet in a bar. And when he walks into the bar, do you know who's there? His wife. His wife is the one that was looking for the same thing. Up until that moment, he had never thought that she could ever want what he, what he wanted. He had written her off. There's no way that she could be on the same page as him. We do the exact same thing to people who are distant from us who have put themselves in opposition to us, people who we don't see any of ourselves in, we write them off instantly without a second thought. Now, maybe you take this for granted in the way that you think, that the love of God is available to anyone, but you and I, we just we don't live that way. Your neighbor that throws trash and yard clippings over the fence, your coworkers that blame you for their mess-ups, your so-called friends who leave you out of a fun night out again, your siblings who say those hurtful things to you, your parents who continue to insinuate you could have done better, those people who voted for that person, who aren't following the obvious, logical worldview, all of them 
have the same invitation to life abundant in God that you do. And perhaps that's actually where we should start in reminding ourselves that you are invited to receive life abundant. You are not too far from God's love. In my sin, in my failure, in my stupidity, in my forgetfulness, in your shame, in your brokenness, God so loved you that He sent His Son for you so that you and I might experience life abundant. Do you know that? But do you believe that? Do you live like that is true? I don't believe that, Stephen, you might say. I used to believe it. Maybe I've never believed it. How can I know for sure that this is about me, that this applies to me, that I myself am invited? How do I know for sure? Life abundant is open to anyone, and it comes through the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God. Our second point. This is where instruction-following people like myself get caught in a repetitious frustration. Just tell me what to do next, God. How can my life be better? What do I have to do in order to have this life abundant? Show me the way. Give me some instructions. God's response to us mirrors God's, Jesus' response to Nicodemus. To us, Jesus says, I have done it. It is finished. To Nicodemus, He says, I'm going to have to do it. Right? He says here, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, that's a little bit confusing to us. Nicodemus is asking about knowledge. He's trying to understand, to wrap his brain around what's happening to gain some wisdom. And in the first century, talking about intellectual understanding was often referred to as ascending into the heavens, becoming like God or like the gods in understanding and in wisdom. And what Jesus said here is, no one has done it except for the Son of Man, Son of Man who has descended, me, Jesus says. I'm the only one who has full knowledge. I am God. I know what is true. I know what has to be done for you to experience life abundant. I'm going to tell you what has to happen. He follows that statement with verse 14. And as as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Jesus says, I know what needs to be done, and just like Moses in the wilderness, it's going to happen. Now, this comes from a scene in Israel's history where they're wandering through the wilderness, and they are besieged by fiery serpents that come and they bite the Israelites. And the venom that they inject into them kills the Israelites. They are dying. And God in His mercy provides a way for them to live. He has Moses build a bronze serpent, nail it to a wooden beam, and raise it high in the middle of the camp. So that if an Israelite is bitten, all that Israelite has to do is look to the serpent up on the beam, and they will be spared. They will be healed. God protects them from certain death. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, this is the prototype for how the Son of Man will bring eternal life, life abundant. So Jesus is going to become a bronze serpent. No, 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 no. The serpents were plaguing Israel. God had Moses build a bronze serpent, an example of the thing that was plaguing them. What plagues us? 
What levies a judgment of death against us? What makes us stand condemned already, as John says? Sin. Jesus is telling Nicodemus he is going to fight and defeat sin by being raised up on a wooden pole like a sinner. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 puts this very succinctly for us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For our sake God made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was crucified like a sinner, though He had never sinned, taking your place and my place so that we might become the righteousness of God. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus that life abundant comes to us. It's the only way, the only way any of us can be saved. One of the things that I get to do in my job that I absolutely love is interviewing children to become members. If they've been baptized, like we just saw, at a certain point in their life, they might want to start taking communion. And so we interview them in order to make sure that they have received Jesus first, as we are commanded to in the Scriptures, and we ask a couple of questions before they take communion for the first time. And it usually starts by us talking about Jesus and who He is and what He's done. And uh, most of them say something like, well, He died on the cross to save us, which leads to my next question, save us? Save us from what? From our sin. This is where I like to have a little bit of fun. I usually say, sin, you are a sinner? Without fail, every child launches into a list of like five to ten sins that they are absolutely sure that they've committed. I'm mean to my siblings. I don't listen to my parents. I talk back. I get angry. I hit my classmates. I do, and it's like not a problem. They've got the sin thing down. Adults, on the other hand, much harder for us to admit that we are sinners We like to twist and to turn. We like to posture, to deflect. We like to defend. We like to help others believe and help ourselves believe that maybe we're not so bad. Maybe we don't actually need to be saved. But the truth is that you are a sinner. Sin deserves death. You deserve death. And the only way to be saved The only way to experience life abundant and to receive eternal life is by receiving the death and resurrection of Jesus, becoming sin for you, dying in your place, and you, through the grace of God, becoming the righteousness of God. When you receive Him, when you receive the light of the world, as John calls it, that is when eternal life begins. And what changes? How does that change you and how you live and who you are? You begin to live freely. This is our final point. Life abundant looks like living freely. All the themes of John's gospel are here in this passage. Light and dark, death and life, water, spirit, all of it's there. But if we look at how Jesus begins talking about eternal life, and how He finishes talking about eternal life, it shows us what it looks like. 
Verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Skip down to verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Born of water and born of the Spirit. Again, Jesus. Confusing. But it actually harkens back to Ezekiel 36 which was a passage that we read in our call to worship, where God proclaims to Israel, on the day of the Lord, I will sprinkle you with water, and I will cleanse you from all your uncleannesses, and I will fill you with my Spirit, and you will live as my Spirit directs you. What Jesus is saying here is when you receive Him, you are made clean, washed clean, And you are filled with the Spirit of God, and it is the Spirit that directs you to live. You are full of God's Spirit. Life abundant comes through being clean, through being Spirit-filled, and that means that you no longer try to follow your own strategies. You don't have to try and make everything work. You don't have to try and figure out how to obey the right way, how to earn life abundant. You are cleaned from the inside out and you are led by the Spirit, led to what He wants you to do, led to life eternal. And it's, it's hard for us sometimes to, to hear the words eternal life and not think about chronology. This is the life that will go on forever. Sure, but it's more than that. It's not time so much as it is quality of life. Eternal life is a life that God has prepared for us. I love this quote from Dallas Willard, the author that I put in the front of our bulletin, who summarizes this passage this way, God so loved the world that He gave His Son to that world that those who will put their confidence in Him would not lead a miserable, failing existence, but have eternal life, which is the kind of life that God has. Being washed clean being filled with the Spirit and being directed by the Spirit means that our life is being conformed to the life of Jesus. You want to know what living abundantly looks like? It looks like living like Jesus. This is how Jesus ends this monologue. Verse 20, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that His works have been carried out by God. The Spirit is making us more like Jesus, live more like Jesus, but we're not going to be able to get there until we die or He comes again. We're still going to fail. We're still going to sin. How does one live life abundant when we're still sinners? You come to Jesus. You come with your failure, with your sin. You bring it into the light and you receive the forgiveness that He extends to us. Living life abundant means not being ashamed anymore, not having to hide anymore. You come to Jesus in repentance for the failure that you've uh, experienced, that you've caused, for the sins that you've done. You come to Him in the celebration of the good works, the good things that you've done, because all of that comes from Jesus Himself. This is what abundant life looks like having the Spirit of God dwell in you, driving you where He wants to live and to love and to serve and to give and to spread that life abundant to everyone that you encounter. 
This is what Jesus is talking about here to Nicodemus. This is not about learning something new. It's about becoming someone new. When you receive Jesus, that new life begins in you. And throughout the rest of your days, the Spirit grows it in you. Years, years, years ago, I was reading uh, the novel by Ron Hansen, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Now, talk about a spoiler alert in a title. It was an amazing book. It was awesome, really well written, incredibly long, but it was amazing. And it was just around the time in our lives when Margaret had been born. Maybe Michaela, I can't remember, all of that's a blur. One of our daughters had just been born. And I was reading this book, um, and because we had an infant in the house, there wasn't a lot of time for pleasure reading. And so it was a little bit here, a little bit there, read a little bit at night. It took me almost a year to read this entire book. And every page that I read, took me one page closer to an event that I knew was going to happen in the story because of the title. And uh, still, I'll never forget the night that I actually read the chapter where Jesse James is assassinated. I knew this had been coming for months, and still, when that chapter ended, I turned my Kindle off, I set it on the bedside table, and I just stared out into the, the bedroom. It was overwhelming. You can read and reread and hear and know and comprehend Jesus' words here thousands of times. In all of the different Bible translations, in the original Greek even, but the only way that the words of Jesus here bring life abundant to you is if you come to Him as Nicodemus does. Who are you, Jesus? Tell me more about you. Help me experience you. It's not in learning about Jesus. It's in meeting Him, encountering the one true living God who lived a perfect life, died unjustly in your place, and rose again from the dead. We are invited to come and seek Jesus out, not just His words, not just His actions, but Him personally. And he tells us, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Join me as I pray to that end for us right now. God, we come before you and we are thankful. We are thankful for your son, Jesus, that he would willingly come to earth to become man, to exchange his glory for submission, to live a life obedient to the law, to suffer and to die in our place, the death that we deserve. Oh God, would you help us meet Jesus today, whether it's for the first time or the 10,000th time, fill us with life abundant that we can only receive through His death and through His resurrection. And I pray that we would never be the same, but that we would be more like Him. We pray this in His mighty and powerful name. Amen.